2: Repentance in its completion is not just a change of mind, but it's a conversion of my ways. I turn from my sin and I turn to God. That's what Peter said, repent and turn to God. And when that happens, I get the third component, which is a cleansing of my
1: sin.
2: How do we demonstrate faith in the name of Jesus? What does that look like in a practical outflow in our life? Well, what is faith? What is faith? Yeah, Hebrews tell us it's when we accept or or when we embrace those things that we cannot see. It's believing or trusting in that which we do not know or perhaps do not fully understand. And in Scripture, our faith is always active. So that's why James would say things, the half-brother of Jesus, like, don't just be uh, hearers of the word, be doers. Our faith is active, and so Peter, second message of the Christian church, and here he is. He's talking about an active faith. Look at verse 19, and now finally, we're at the focal verses for this passage of Scripture. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You need refreshing? You feel paralyzed? You feel dry or dead in your faith? This is the key. Circle this verse in your Bible. Dog ear the page. Mark it with the ribbon. Whatever you've got to do. We will all have those times where we feel like things have gone astray. It's in those moments that we must cry out to God in repentance. Throughout Scripture, repentance has always been God's path to experiencing His grace. That's why the Old Testament prophets would say, repent Israel and turn back to God. And We see why that's so important. When we repent, what happens? We repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of of the Lord. We repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So you ever feel like you need refreshing? You ever feel paralyzed? Disabled? Dry in your faith? Then the first thing you need to do is say, God, what do I need to repent of? And I want to say something for the second time. There are physical and mental conditions that cause us to need medical help to get through the situations of life. However, we should never go down that path until we first held up God's word and said, is there anything in my life that's inconsistent with the way that God wants me to live. I believe this passage teaches us that the key to being refreshed and revived in our spiritual journey is living a repentant life. And everyone everywhere needs repentance. Say everyone. Say everywhere. Everyone everywhere needs repentance. Acts 17.30 says this. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So do you need to repent? What's the answer? That's not rhetorical. Do you need to repent? Yes. yes. You're one of the all people. We're, every, we're part of that everywhere. Yes, we need to repent. So let's ask that question. What is repentance? Repentance. You remember, we've talked about it almost every week in Acts. Why do we need to repent? Well, the first reason we need to repent is because we accept God's word as truth. So, quick test, I'm going to put you on the spot. Raise your hand if you accept God's word as truth. All right, I think that's all of us, but I'm not looking closely. God's word said everyone everywhere needs to repent. So, we're accepting God's word as truth. Secondly, we need to repent because we're sorrowful for our sins. Now, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever experienced this. Have you ever seen a child that was sorry? Or Let's make it more personal. Have you ever been sorry for getting caught or sorry for being punished before you were really sorry for what you've done? Yeah. Oh, bunch of liars, you better be raising your hand. <laughs> of course you have. We see that in children, but it's true in all of us. We repent because we get to a place of sorrow. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7. As as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss. A godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. We repent because we're sorrowful and we recognize this is not okay to stay this way. And then we repent because God is good. You know why we repent because God is good? Because he's so good, he gave us the avenue of repentance. Aren't you thankful that we have the avenue of repentance and confession? That we are not stuck in our sins. That's the whole point of salvation. That's what we celebrate. That's why we should be happy when we sing, I am redeemed. Because I'm not stuck where I was. I've been redeemed. Because God's good. It says in Romans 2, 4, do you not presume on the riches of the kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? And then we repent because judgment is coming, right? So in that Acts 17 passage, when it says God's calling everyone everywhere to repent, it then goes on to say because judgment is coming, there's going to be an accounting I repent because I recognize that even my one unconfessed sin is enough to separate me from a holy God. So that's why I pray the prayer of David, a prayer I learned as a child from Psalms 139, beginning in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So if you're at that place and you're sitting here, and somebody surely is, and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I don't need to repent. Then my challenge to you is just pray that prayer. Search me, oh God, and show my heart. Just pray this prayer. Say, God, help me to see these things in my life that you see that I need to repent of. So to help you with that, I just want to walk through a list real quick, okay? This is going to be like lightning quick, so you need to follow along. But I want this to be worshipful, not just a teaching exercise. So if you have to close your eyes, try not to fall asleep, please, but, but focus on, on what's being said and ask God, are, are there any sins in this area of my life that need to be confessed? For example, sins of the heart. Sins of the heart. What, what does it mean, sins of the heart? Well, as a child, we talk about inviting Jesus into our heart. Why do we say that? Because our heart is the wellspring of our life. It is our everything. It shows that God has total control. We've recognized that when he, his banner is flying over our heart, indicating that the king is in residence, there can be no other banner. So you can't really say, God's got a compartment of my heart. When you do, you've got sins of the heart that are being committed. You've given your heart to something else. So some of us have given our heart to another person. Some of us have given our heart to our children, our grandchildren. They have a bigger place in our lives than Jesus does. Some of us have given our heart to our work, or given our heart to our hobbies, or given our heart to our wealth. And the word says, Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance. Or from it flows the springs of life. Sins of the heart, but then we have to watch out for sins of the mind. Does anyone's mind ever race? Do you ever ever have those times at night when you're trying to go to sleep and you can't go to sleep because your mind is just going in a billion different directions? I've told you, it's it's crazy. It's, it's embarrassing to admit, but my mind—I can be talking. I can be preaching. And my mind's thinking, okay, what else is, what's next, what's going on, what's, I mean, our minds are crazy, and yet scripture says, 2 Corinthians ten five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So some of us, we commit sins of the mind, and they look like this, maybe they're lustful thoughts, or envious thoughts, or greedy thoughts, or hateful thoughts, or bitter thoughts, and I'm just the tip of the iceberg, you get the picture? Our mind, we think things that are not honoring to God. And at the end of the day, anything I do that's not pleasing to God becomes sinful even in my thought life. So am I taking my thoughts captive? Do I have sins of the mind? Sins of attitude. This was a big one among many of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Our attitudes are just not honoring to Jesus. We're negative, or again, we're bitter, or, or we're hateful, or we're just... We act sad all the time. Ephesians four two says, With all humility and gentleness, with prudence, bearing with one another in love. When we have attitudes at honoring Jesus, let me just tell you what they look like. It's called Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Then there are sins of speech. Boy, this is a tough one, isn't it? Anyone else read a proverb a day like I do? It's hard to do that and not recognize almost every day. Our tongue gets us in trouble. And God warns us regularly to watch out. It's not just gossip. It's not just bad language. It's hurtful things. It's speaking too quick. It's talking too much. Even today, Proverbs 26, it it talked about the danger of being hurtful and then just saying, I was just joking. Sins of speech. Jesus said on Matthew twelve thirty six, I tell you on the day of judgment, you'll give account for every careless word you speak. That's frightening, isn't it? Now, I just want to remind you what we're about to get to. I'm not going to give account for that which has been confessed and forgiven. Do you understand that? If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just and forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So I'm giving account for that, what I that I've not dealt with, that I've not confessed and repented of. And then sins of relationship, and certainly these are sins like adultery and and those kinds of things that are relational sins. But let me just tell you, I think it's really talking about sins that are between brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it, it really is absurd to think that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and ever let anyone outside of our circle of love there's no sin in the family of God that you cannot forgive another of. Why? Because God forgives us of anything that we confess to him. Who are you? Above God? And That's why Jesus would say in Matthew 5, if you have an offering, a gift at the altar, and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and bring your gift. So this means you've got to do all that you can do. Now, let me just tell you, there are times you've done everything you can do. There have been relationships in my past where I, I feel like I've done everything I can do. And when you've done that and you've been obedient to the Scripture, then you go about your worship of the Lord and you leave that to the Lord. But until you've done everything you can do, you're not falling through in that desire to be reconciled. And then there's just a big category I'd call sins of commission. This is when we do those things God said don't do. Hey, here's a little test for us. On the count of three, I want you to say something that God said don't do, okay? So like the thou shalt nots or anything in Scripture God said don't do. Everybody say something out loud that God said don't do on the count of three. One, two, three. So there's a lot of things, right? So when we do these things, God said don't do. That's a sin of commission. We committed a sin. Because it says in 1 John 5 that we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandment. For this is the love of God that we keep. His commandment. And then there's one more category. Not just sins of commission, but sins of, oh, this is a biggie, isn't it? These are things God tells us to do that we don't do. So I can tell us because we're here, right? But but when I'm not faithful, assembling as the body, God told me to do that in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. So when I'm not faithful to that, that's a sin of omission. And remember, even one sin separates me from God. When I don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's a sin of omission. When I'm not praying without ceasing, that's a sin of omission. James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now, why is repentance so important? Remember what I said were the theme verses, verse 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Three things. When we repent, our sins. When we repent, our sins are wiped out. And that word there is the exact word in the original language that's used in the book of the Revelation at the end when it says he wipes away the tears from our eyes. The same hand that will wipe away the tears from your eyes in heaven wipes your sin out. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said nothing will wipe your name out of the book of life. It's a word that was used, and I started to bring a piece of papyrus that I bought in Egypt. But on papyrus, when you would write, when the scribes would write on papyrus, that original paper, when they would write on that, you could take something, and you could could just wipe off the writing. Because the ink that they were writing with would not sink into the papyrus. And so when he says... It will be wiped out. They understood what he was talking about. It will be like it was never there. Sin is wiped out. And then times of refreshing come. I'm just telling you, have you ever had a burden lifted? Have you ever been forgiven and cleansed? Have you ever felt the freedom that comes when your secret sin is exposed and you've confessed? There's refreshing. There's rest. There's respite. And then you experience the presence of the Lord. You ever have those days you just want more of Jesus? Well, this is how you get it. Now, the specific context of this passage, just so you know I understand it, the specific context of this passage, I believe Peter was saying to the children of Israel, to the people of Israel, if you as a nation repent and turn to Christ then Jesus will return. And I believe that would have been true. Had there been a national repentance and the Jewish people would have turned to Christ as the Messiah, then we wouldn't be waiting on the second return of Jesus. He would have come back. That's the specific context. But the general context is unmistakable. When we repent, our sins are cleansed, times of refreshing come, and we get more of the powerful presence of Jesus. The biblical message is clear. When we experience true repentance, sins are forgiven, seasons of refreshing do come. And unmistakable power and presence of Jesus is felt and experienced in our life. So what's the reverse of that? No repentance, no refreshing. You can't experience the blessing and the refreshing of God apart from doing the hard work of repentance. And this is so important, remember, because every one of us experiences difficult times along life's journey. Those times when we need seasons of refreshing. When we encounter the renewal and the revival that comes from having the presence of God. Repentance is the funnel through which all revival flows. I'm praying for revival in my life and for our church I'm just telling you, I believe with all my heart, it begins when the people of God get serious about repentance. Someone gave a definition for revival, and they said, Revival is renewed interest after a period of indifference or decline. So I ask you, how many of you need a refreshing, or you feel disabled in your faith, you feel paralyzed? What you're saying is, I need a renewed interest. I've gone through a period of indifference or, or decline. I read an article this week called Satan Will Sing You to Sleep, Waking Up from Spiritual Indifference. Maybe you saw this. It was online this week. desiring God. It said, My new friend lives in an Islamic country where sharing the gospel, if you caught, will get you thrown into prison and likely tortured to extract information about other Christians. Yet he and his wife are daily diligently seeking to share the gospel with others because they want to share with them in its blessings. Even more than that, they want their own survival. Even more than they want their own survival. Each morning when this husband and wife part ways, they acknowledge to one another that it might be the last time they see each other. She knows, if caught, part of her torture will almost assuredly include rape, probably repeatedly. He knows, if caught, brutal things await him before a likely execution. For them to live as Christ and to die as gain. Yet each day they preferably pursue the spirit of Jesus' direction in order to show the lost the way of salvation. And they are equipping other Christians to do the same. A number of years ago, this man and his wife were given the opportunity to move to the States. And they did. After living here for a period of time, however, the wife began to plead with her husband that they moved back to their Islamic country of origin. Why? She told him, it's like there's a satanic lullaby playing here, and the Christian are all asleep. And I feel like I'm falling asleep. Please, let's go back. Which they did. I fear that we've been sung to sleep in the church. I fear that we've been paralyzed in power. I fear that we've been disabled and we're not making the impact and having the influence that God wants us to have. But I know that God can send seasons of refreshing and revival both individually and corporately. This is true if you have a relationship with Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to have that relationship with him if you've not yet done so. But if you have a relationship with him, I want to remind you that this comes through these seasons of repentance. If you did not already take time as we walk through those different types of sins and ask God to show you what needs to be repented of, I want to invite you to do that in these next few moments. And then I'm going to invite you to celebrate what God's given us to show that he does give that forgiveness and cleansing that brings those seasons of refreshing see, when Jesus was meeting with his disciples, just before his crucifixion, he took from the piece of bread on the table, he took from the cup that was before them, and he said, this represents my body and my blood. They didn't understand it. But those early Christians, after his ascension, would soon put it together. So when Paul would write to the church at Corinth, he would remind them of the words of Jesus. And he would instruct us to do what that first church did. To come together regularly. To take of the bread, to take of the cup, remembering the death of Jesus and what that makes possible. What does the death of Jesus make possible? Our forgiveness. Forgiveness which comes